The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Are you trying to master the game of life without success? There are secrets and strategies to living your best life. We'll share some of them with you on today's show. Take advantage of this series to become an expert at relationships. All relationships. It's time to live the life that you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Sandra Reich. Welcome to Straight Talk. I'm very happy to be back. I get the most interesting people. I'm very lucky. And I'm really excited about today's topic because it comes up every day at my job. It comes up every day in my personal life. It comes up every day in my marriage. It comes up every day everywhere. Before I tell you what it is, let me tell you a bit about our guest. Oh, my God. Renee Ritchie is the editor-in-chief of iMore and the executive editor of Mobile Nations, which is huge, including Android Central, CrackBerry, iMore, Windows Central, Windows Central, excuse me. 40 million readers a month read these sites. He is a video producer and a personality. I definitely think so. He's <laughs> co-hosted CES Live. He regularly co-hosts MacBrate Weekly, Weekly for the Twit Network. And his popular series of podcasts, including the I'm More Show and Debug, have been downloaded over 20 million times. One of the things I love about him is he is like an incredible superstar, and he's the most down-to-earth guy you could ever meet. I'm lucky enough to know him. He lives here in Montreal. He's a great cook also. I love watching all the things he makes, and I've been wanting to have him on the show for a long time. Uh, Welcome, Renee, to Straight Talk. Oh, thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk because, you know, I was thinking about the show, and I was thinking it's kind of a weird sort of um, dynamic in a way because your entire, your job is all about technology and often my job is often telling people to get off technology. (laughs) So I thought that's going to be really interesting. And yet, of course, I use a lot of technology myself. So I really thought it would be interesting to talk about, start with what are your opinions? I mean, I know you make your living in technology and obviously you must love technology, but I'm sure you have opinions on what's good and what's not good in technology. Talk to me. Oh, no, totally. I mean, like it's like any tool. Any tool that humans design can be good, used for good and used for evil. Uh, the pencil lets us write wonderful poetry, but we can also stab somebody with it. Uh, and we, we tend to do both. Uh, so it's completely up to us. We, we have free will and that leads to fantastic discoveries and terrible, terrible atrocities. I love what you just said before we even get into it, because it's so core to everything I believe in is free will is what distinguishes us from animals, from everyone else. And we have choice. So it's an important point you're saying. Yeah. And with technology, it's, I mean, there's this great Steve Jobs quote where he said that uh, computers were the bicycles of the mind and that they're just a force multiplier. They let us do things faster and to a greater extent than ever before. But the things that we choose to do with them are totally up to us. Yeah, so true. So what are the things that you think technology has brought that are really, again, if well used, have really improved quality of life? 
Well, I think one of the most important things is just enabling us to connect with people around the world because we were, you know, we walked in a small groups across land bridges and we migrated and we, we lost contact with people. And for many, many years, we were very small groups. And then the industrial revolution happened and we moved to cities and we kind of lost that village, that community uh, yeah. in many ways, or at least for many people. And now we've sort of gone back to these virtual communities where I might not live anywhere near you, but you're the people I talk to and connect with every day. And it's, I don't know if that's a desperation to have that human connection, but it's definitely something that's enabled it again for a, a new generation of people. Again, such an interesting point because in psychology, um, humans over and over again, I mean, actually last week's show was about this over and over again, the research shows we do have a desperate need for connection. There's no doubt about it. So here's a question for you just to, you know, spice it up a little bit. Do you think that when we're connecting on social media, for example, is how does that compare to a human connection in your view, in your view? Uh, I think, you know, again, there's a duality in this, in this thing where you, you sometimes you have somebody in your neighborhood and they have a really flashy car and a beautiful house and everything is incredibly manicured and you have no idea that everything that they own is debt financed and, you know, they're up to their ears and they're right. fairly solvent and they're, there's, you know, they don't get along at all inside the house, but you, all you see is that external image and you're jealous or you're envious of it. And I think social media is the same thing where you see on Instagram or on Facebook the most carefully curated and cultivated moments and you might think, <laughs> oh, I wish I was living that life. And they're thinking the same thing about you. So yeah. again, it's, it's our base nature. It's just broadcast now. So I guess you would probably agree. I, I don't want to put these words in your mouth, but it came into my head, as you said, that, that somebody's self-esteem is a factor here. Oh, I totally. I mean, I think that it, it takes whatever your core feeling is and just it, it amplifies that. So if you're super confident, you might look at that and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to post a better picture of a cup of coffee tomorrow, dude. <laughs> but otherwise, you might be like, oh, I will never meet this. I will never sustain this. I'm going to sit quietly in my box and just cry alone. Yeah. So I think that I know a lot of clients who come into the clinic, they're always comparing upwardly. And as you said, the image on Facebook is not uh, a full portrayal of the person's life. So I have people telling me, I see all these happy couples and everyone's in love, but me and everyone's having a good time, but me. So that is more somebody whose self-esteem is shaky than somebody who goes, oh, that's a nice picture of a cup of coffee. Oh, God, I really got to take myself out for coffee one of these days. Type of thing. I, had, I had to give myself a reality check because it got to the point, like, because I would take like 20 pictures to kind of get the perfect picture of that cup of coffee. And yeah. I realized at some point, I'm not drinking that coffee. And everyone around me is sort of looking at me while I'm taking pictures of stuff and not actually enjoying it. And that was just, it, it was almost like, you know, when everything crashes down around you. And I'm like, this yeah. is just not good. I've seen those pictures you put of coffee. That's amazing. So you were taking the pictures, but you had to realize that you weren't enjoying the coffee because you were trying to get the perfect shots. Yeah, it was cold by the time I got to it. Or I would be like, can you put it in a cup for now? And then I'll put it to a takeout cup later, but I want the picture of it in the fancy cup. And it just, I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of sad. I guess this is one of the reasons I am such a big fan of yours and so many people are, is you're so honest about this stuff. I mean, here you are in the field and you're admitting something that's so human and so real and so many of us do, but we don't, we're shy to acknowledge it. We're shy to acknowledge that we're, we're putting more emphasis on how our lives look than living our lives. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite, uh, I think it was from Angel, but one of my favorite Joss Whedon lines was, you scratch the surface and what do you find more surface? 
And that's sort of the feeling I had. Yeah. It's just that like there was a veneer on top of the veneer and very little underneath it. And you just have to sometimes just push through that. And I like those moments. I like those moments of like whether they're moments of clarity or or or, or understanding or whatever, because it, it, it often has a greater impact. Like it's just, it wasn't just about the food. It's about, oh, there is this culture online where you're expected to sort of be a certain way and act a certain way and it may or may not actually be good for you. And it's good to sort of reassess that. And even if you decide ultimately it's important that you want maybe for your career and you want to do it, at least you've had the benefit of, of having to force yourself to stop and think about it. Hmm. Very, very true. Very true. Lots to think about there. Um, I wonder, I can't help but wonder personally, you know, if I was in the field of technology as you are, you know, I'll definitely want to hear what you have to say about, you know, the coolest apps and what's out there. I've heard your podcasts. They're amazing. They make me want to get every app out there. <laughs> I wonder how much you, like, for example, like psychology, people think we're always doing psychology and we're not. The last thing I want to do when I'm off work is do psychology. I wonder about you though, if you're in the field of technology, are you, where do you draw the line? Like, how do you, do you unplug? I have a re- so I, I, my personality, and I don't want to make excuses for it, but I, I just <laughs> dislike being bored. So I'm always trying to do something. And I know it's probably not good for me, but I just, I have a really hard time sitting and just doing nothing. Uh, so I, I will tend to gravitate back to a phone or a television set or something, and usually multiple things, because if TV is going on, that's just ambient, and I want something that I can engage with immediately, so I'll start writing again. Uh, and that's, I have very few vices. Like I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't gamble, but I just I, I, I write a lot, because I feel like I have those words stuck in my head, and I can't relax until they're out, but then they're just more words come later. Wow. So you, are you saying that in the background you have like ambient like TV and you're writing at the same time? Yeah, so like my parents used to listen to the radio all the time, and uh, I just use like Netflix or something like the radio. Like the television's on, and I'm not always looking at it, but there's just noise. Or I'll go to a coffee shop, and there'll be like people talking around you, and it just it, it, the silence to me is kind of deafening sometimes, which is total cliche, but it's true. Wow. So for you in your life, then I mean, you've made a career of it, and like you said, you don't have other vices. I guess technology is working for you. You're not struggling with that. I mean, work, working is like some people's definition. Like, a family's always saying, if you put that, you know, bleep, bleep, bleep computer or phone down <laughs> and talk to us for a minute. And, you know, that's true. So I make an effort to do that. But the, the horrible thing about technology is it's such an instant gratification medium that you get used to something happening all the time. And real life isn't like that. Real life has ups and downs and moments of silence and moments of pause. Uh, and you, you get conditioned to be a certain velocity. It's almost like when you come off the highway and you've got to force yourself to slow the car down. And it's sort of maddening for a few minutes. But then you take your time and you sort of ease back into it. And then, you know, you're fine until it happens again. Well, actually, that's a very interesting point, because we know that the brain seeks novelty. So last week, we had on uh, Dr. Sue Johnson, who's a specialist in attachment and couples. And she was talking about even pornography, and that the problem is that, again, because the brain seeks novelty and computers and every pornography and all this stuff, it keeps feeding the brain faster and more exciting stuff. It, yes, it can become life can become a little um, slow paced at that point. So that's one of the challenges she talks about is that happens for couples or people who are on technology too much. It's very fast paced, instant gratification, as you said. Yeah, and it's, I think it permeates our society, and I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but the, I was listening to a discussion on uh, Script Notes, which is a really great podcast by two Hollywood screenwriters, and they were talking about how the pace of movies has gotten much faster over the years, and that their kids have a really hard time watching a movie made in the 70s, never mind a movie 
made in the 50s because things are just happening so slowly. Uh, and that's there's there are things that I've seen on the internet that I wish I could never unsee because I, I have the I'm, I have the, the the blessing and the curse of having a really really good memory. And there's just there's all sorts of atrocities that happen that I wish that I was completely ignorant about. But it's really hard to be ignorant um, in in the age of information. And conversely, for people who do sort of thrive on the next big thrill, uh, there's almost unlimited. Whether your thing is violence or, or porn or uh, social media addiction or whatever it is, it, it's almost limitless and you can just take it from level to level. And I, I don't know if, there, if we have developed the sort of stop gaps that we need to keep pace with that level of acceleration. Yeah, it's 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 quite the question, you know. I'm not sure we're going to get an answer, but it is it's it's you know it's something that again I love, I use, you love, you use, and then we see um, sometimes what happens to people, as you said so well at the beginning, uh, when they're not using it in a you know a functional, healthy way. Um, you mentioned Renee that you write a lot. Now I yeah. assume I'm assuming you're talking about the some of these reviews you do, but I also noticed that, and I'm really I don't know the answer to this. Even even though I know you, is that I noticed you've authored some books. What did you write about? I'm curious to know. Uh, in, when I was in college, I wrote about Chinese culture a lot. So I did a couple of nonfiction books, and I did sort of like a modern take on a traditional Chinese folk story. Um, and I really love writing nonfiction. It's harder for me to do because I don't do it. Like I really, I've, I've written about technology so often that I can pretty much just pick up um, a a computer and start writing and never have to think about what I want to say. Like it, it just happens now, but fiction is, is still a lot of work for me. And I just, I don't have time to do it now because I'm writing so much other stuff, which I kind of regret. Uh, but I do like all forms of writing. It's just, it's, it's like creating worlds uh, with your imagination and, and recording them somehow. So it's creative for you. Yeah. I mean, I used to draw a lot too, and I still draw now. I got an Apple pencil, so more technology enabling me to do more things. And, and then I'm like, uh, you know, writing is, takes too long. I can just draw a picture, but then I'll draw a picture takes long. I can just write something and I sort of bounce back and forth now. Okay. So maybe so for people listening, you can tell us what you're writing about. What are you writing about? What do you do exactly? Explain it to everybody. So I, most of the time I'm writing about Apple and sort of what Apple does with technology, whether it's reviewing like this week, it's been all about the new iPhone SE, uh, which is Apple's small iPhone that came out. So I've been writing reviews about it, help and how-to guides, helping people choose which one to get, what color to get, and then you know how to set it up, how to start using it. If you want to call, like if you want to set up something between your grandkids and the grandparents, how they can call each other and message each other. So we try to just help people get the most out of their technology. So um, you're brilliant, mind, and I do say that <laughs> I don't say that lightly because you really have a gift. I mean, Renee, you've got to know that, uh, and if you don't, I'm telling you, you have an incredible. Well, you and I gift. share a mutual uh, ego deflator, so I'm always kept on on the ground. Oh God! Um, <laughs> but you know, one of the things uh, you know, we're going to take a break in a minute. But I happen to know you also have, you know, beautiful relationships. We have, we have a friend in common, a very close friend, um, and you know, lots of you know, not just technology relationships in your life. You also have these relationship with kids, with adults. And when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk about your viewpoints on technology when it comes to children. Sure. Um, you, you know, you good with that? Absolutely. Okay, so we'll take a short break. We'll be right back with Street Talk with Sandra Rich. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Spa Munari is a full-service wellness day spa located at the heart of West Island, Quebec. Submerge yourself in beauty with one of our many treatments, specially catered to your needs. We offer facials, manicures, pedicures, hair removal, massages, body treatments, and so much more. Enjoy our ultimate relaxation experience with our spa packages. We offer a men's menu as well. Call us today to book your next appointment at 514-695-5040 or visit us on the web at spamunari.com. That's 514-695-5040 or spamunari.com. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. Welcome back. I'm here with Renee Ritchie, a fascinating guy who is the guy who writes when you're looking at your phone and you're looking at your tablet. He's the guy who writes about which one to get and how to use it. I was realizing, so if somebody's lost, it's you who helps out. That must be very gratifying. I mean, I try. Uh, it's, it's sort of a mutually beneficial relationship because no one person can have every answer. So we get our readers will often say, you forgot this thing or how about this thing? Will this work? And then that, that just makes us even better at this stuff. I mean, they're so much smarter than we are. So we sort of get the benefit. The community benefit is great. There's that beautiful humbleness that I love in you. Um, so you also have uh, your shows where I, I believe, I mean, I've seen obviously some of them, um, you review the latest apps and you, you know, allow people to know what's going on out there. Is that you were right? You kind enough to come onto one of them. It was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. That was a lot of fun, actually. So I asked you if I could put you on the spot on the break before I get into children, because that's a big topic is I wondered what you would say are the five greatest apps out there since you review apps. Let me make sure I get this right, though, because I might not have it right, Renee. You review apps, you review phones, you review tablets. Am I missing stuff? No, not like sort of anything. I mean, like you have to pick and choose because there's just so much stuff out there now. So I mostly review devices like iPhones and iPads and Apple TVs now. Uh, but I, I have over the course of my career reviewed apps and accessories and all oh. sorts of things. Okay, so sorry, a personal question. Sure. Why, why no Android? Uh, so I, I, I've had every generation of Android device. Like I've had every Nexus. That's the one that Google sells directly and doesn't sort of let the manufacturers or carriers mess with. So uh-huh. I've had like the Nexus 1 and uh, the Nexus 5 was the last one I've had. And I'll probably pick up the Nexus 6P uh, in the near future. And I've had Windows phones. I had a, a Lumia 1020. I even had like the latest BlackBerry, not the Priv, but before that. Uh, so I try to keep up with all of them. I just, I personally... Like people have different ways of learning. Like some people are visual learners, some people are kinesthetic uh, learners, and I sort of think that which operating system you end up on is a reflection of of several different facets of your personality. Like Android is very customizable and it has a wide variety of form factors. You can get different phones from different manufacturers. There's a lot of choice involved. Where with Apple, there's only one or two different phones, but the way they build it 
there's not a lot of different choice and customizations, but it's incredibly easy to use. It's like the, the experience is incredibly elegant. So for me, like younger Renee would have absolutely used Android all the time because I like building my own PCs and doing all this stuff. And then as I, as I got busier, I'm just like, I, I don't have time to make this phone do what I want. I'm just going to get a phone where I know the constraints. And sometimes having constraints is liberating. Yeah, I guess it's like boundaries, the same type of concept. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so apps are not your main thing, but I guess, you know, t- keep in mind I'm a lay person here, so I might be asking sure. the question wrong. But for people out there, before we talk about children, which is going to be a little bit more the negative side, I believe, um, I'm not sure, we'll see where we go, what are the five things you've seen in technology in the time you're in this field that you feel people should know about? What? What? So, go ahead. Sorry. So there are some apps that are really like, in my opinion, they're accelerators. They're just things that, uh, they're technology that let us do things we could never do before. One example of that is, are the apps that connect us. Like Apple has FaceTime, Google has Hangouts, Microsoft has Skype. And these let us, without having to pay for long distance bills, as long as we're connected to Wi-Fi or we have a data plan, they let us actually you know, see and talk to our friends and our family members on our phones, we can actually look at our phones and talk to them. So whether it's grandparents and grandkids or, you know, you're traveling and you want to reach your spouse or you're in a store and you're not sure if this jacket looks good on you and you want your significant other's opinion, you can just fire up the app and immediately you're talking with them and you're seeing them face to face. And that's incredibly, we talked about connections before, that's incredibly empowering technology. And especially when you think like people can use sign language that way. They have programs where kids with cochlear implants are, are, are taken through lessons in remote areas. And that whole technology to me is incredibly exciting. So all of those kind of communication apps I think are wonderful. Can you say a little bit more about that cochlear implant story? That sounds really cool. Oh, so that was a program at Stanford, and uh, they were giving infants cochlear implants, but it's really hard uh, to do the, the post-care with them, which is instructing them on how, on how to use it and getting the families involved, because the families have to sit down with them and, and work on all the pronunciation and all the different things. So what they did is give every one of them an iPad, and then they'd have a, a speech therapist at Stanford call them at a set time every day. And because it was an iPad, if they were at home and it was too noisy and too many other people were there, they could go to the park, they could go to a coffee shop, they could go to the backyard, and they would... It it would be much rarer that they would actually miss a session. And because it was sort of a small piece of glass, the kids could relate to it. Uh, it would almost be like their friend. And it just it proved a really great way to bring the care that was available in a downtown metropolitan area to people in the most remote rural areas. So that's a really great example of where actually a child is being helped by technology. So I guess we really do have to keep in mind that if, like what you said, I I said on the break, it's so brilliant what you said, that if we use technology in ways to help, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, that's a very heartwarming story. There's a great, I mean, recently, uh, and I'm sure other companies are going to do this as well, Apple last year announced ResearchKit, and I'm sure in your experience you know how hard it is to get a, a group of volunteers for research projects. People put tear tag flyers in basements to get them, yeah. and they made this open source thing where you can, uh, as long as you agree and you agree to share the information, you can sign up, and they have autism studies, and they have... Um, uh, just for uh, Parkinson's studies, all sorts of things where it's not just people in that community, but people around the world can share data and do things like pressing on the screen to determine how, how much strength is remaining in their hand, or the camera can map their facial features as they're trying to talk and express themselves. Yeah. Uh, and you, this is hugely great for researchers. And they discovered now this year they put out care kit because they found out that, you know, post-operative or post, uh, you know, post-care patients, they, they got a piece of paper, but they really didn't follow it. And now they can, there's an app where they can make sure they, they tap it when they take their medicine and the doctor can adjust it depending on their reactions to certain things in real time even without them coming in. So I think especially on, on, 
on sort of that level, the technology is incredibly powerful. So the people you meet, like, you know, I meet people, I'm not talking at work, you know, you're out and you hear people in restaurants, oh, technology has ruined everything and we, people don't talk anymore, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's, it's annoying when you think about it because I'm listening to this and we have to be very careful of making these all or nothing statements. Um, believe me, I have two small kids. I, I don't want them heavily on tech. And there's a lot of research that shows a lot of problems. And as I said, I definitely want us to talk about that. But I think we have to be careful. What I'm really learning talking to you is, these blanket statements are we're missing like again how to take the good and throw out the bad but maybe that's just so much a part of our human nature i think so like cars are the same thing i mean cars they're polluting they cause traffic jams but they also enable us to travel in a way that you know before we'd be walking and you can only walk so far or you'd have a horse and that can only take you know so many people so far so all these things everything comes at a price and you have to always know the price when you get into it and hopefully you use them in the areas that benefit you the most and you sort of minimize them in the areas that hurt you the most uh but again they're just they're just ways of amplifying what humans can do for good or for ill do you write on this sometimes? Do you write on this topic of how technology, how to, you know, use it, like use it for good and learn to shut off when it's not good? Does that come up in your, any of your shows or writings? I, you know, I try to, I probably get, not as much as I should, honestly. I think, you know, it's a much more interesting story and I focus too much maybe on the day-to-day stuff. Uh, but now that I've talked to you, I'm definitely going to do that more. Well, I, I think it's just so, I think so many people need to hear this because I, I think they fall into the all or nothing trap of technology and I'm learning it myself listening to you. Um, so you mentioned definitely that you like FaceTime and those things. And obviously I'm an Android user. I have a Note 5. And so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm taking advantage people of this uh, time with Renee. Do sure. we not have something like um, FaceTime? Do I not yes. have Yes. I mean, you can, Skype is available. Microsoft makes Skype okay. available for, for okay. Android and for iOS. And you also have Google Stealing. Hangouts. I was Which feeling a, Apple envy. No, Google Hangouts <laughs> is terrific. Like it's great for uh, the one thing FaceTime can't do is conference calls. And Google Hangouts, I think, depending on what kind of account you have, you can do fifteen or twenty-five people at once, which is great okay. for offices and charities and and all sorts of things. Thank you. I was feeling a little insecure no. about my phone. They're all good now. That's the nice thing is that you know they're all sort of at parity now. Amazing. Um, okay, so sorry, I just jumped to question to question because I, you know. You have all these amazing and interesting things to tell us about technology. What's your favorite app? Uh, wow, my favorite app. Um, sorry, I was just thinking about something totally different. Because, like, when tell me, tell me. I, I had a call um, a while ago with people who work on accessibility, which is making technology more available to people who have problems with eyesight or with hearing or with motor skills. Um, and they were showing me how, how much work they put into making the camera app usable for someone who was blind. And at first thought is, well, why would someone who's blind use the camera? And they're like, well, they have friends and family they want to send you know, selfies to or pictures of where they are. And so the, the camera actually says sunlight, bright day face smiling and they can tell not just when they take the picture but after when they look at the photo it'll it'll sort of vocally describe what the picture is and that sort of enable and and they were showing another guy who made an app that lets him just walk through a forest he's totally blind but for the first time he can go by himself and just walk through the forests of germany and for him it's just totally liberating how how does that work i don't get it with a combination of GPS and beacons, it would basically it, it, wow. it, the vibrations or the beeps tell him which way he needs to go, and he just follows them. And then he says, "I want to go home," and it plots the course for him to go home and takes him there. Okay, so now that you said that, 
It means that I want to know what is the app you can't live without. I'm going to want to know. It's coming up just so you know. I'm definitely going to want to know where you think technology is going. And then as I keep mentioning, we're going to talk about children and technology. So what is the app that you couldn't live without that you love the most? So it's a really lame answer, but it's the web browser. I mean, we've gotten to the point where apps do a lot of things, but there's still almost the wealth of human information is available on the web. So you have Chrome on Android, you have Safari on uh, iPhone, you have Edge on Windows, and they just, they're just they basically a window into a knowledge base the likes of which we've never had available to us before. We have this, these little pocket devices that we carry around that we can find out anything at any time on. And to me, that's, that's nothing short of miraculous. It's true. Like I'm going out for dinner later tonight and I often open the wine list or champagne or whatever and I'm not sure which is a good one. I don't always know if I recognize it. Sure. So first thing I do is I punch it into Wine Sense or one of those websites and I can get a whole bunch of reviews in like a matter of seconds. I, I mean, and my daughter sometimes asks me something to explain something that I, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like she's learning about aqueducts. I, I, that's, <laughs> it's not that easy to explain. Boom, it's right there. So it's not a lame answer. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I think some people would say like, you know, uh, Clash of Clans or Candy Crush or Facebook. Because for a lot of people, their phone and the internet is just Facebook because it's where they live. Yeah. Um, so and and it's where all their relatives and all their friends and and everyone can congregate. Uh, but for me, like just the web is everything. Now that's another interesting question I have. When I was speaking to you about arranging this show, you were telling me you're more of a Twitter guy than a Facebook guy. So do you hang in Facebook at all? I, so I use Facebook just for uh, relatives and people I know in real life uh, because okay. it's, uh, it just became unmanageable for me uh, otherwise because I'd have all these people asking me to be my friend that I didn't know and then it, I, it was just a weird experience. And I know everyone uses it differently and some people just want as many connections as possible because um, they use it for networking or I, I don't know, maybe they just want the vanity number. Uh, Twitter, I, Twitter is, is um, not parallel so people can follow me and I don't have to follow them back uh, which might sound mean but it just, it's just like I can follow things that interest me and they can follow the things that interest them. Where yeah. Facebook sort of forces you to be friends. And I find that that is a weird relationship because it's not, not every relationship is the same. Yeah, and so therefore it also possibly creates someone feeling rejected also. Because if you don't want to be their friend, you're rejecting them. Yeah, and I get like, I'm, and I'm not saying this to, to, to brag about anything, but I maybe get 10 Facebook requests a day and I, and I often don't know any of them. And then it's just right. weird because if I do friend them, they suddenly have access to all my information, which I don't want to have happen either. Because I'm really privacy conscious, which sounds silly in the internet age, but I really am. And maybe they'll know my location or my number, and I, I just don't want that happening. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, you know, I think that makes sense. I, I don't know if people realize listening to you also that you, you know, so many people know you. I can certainly understand why you'd be uh, concerned about that. Um, we have a call from uh, Kathy from Rhode Island. So let's see what she wants to ask us. Hi, Kathy. Hey, um, I have two questions. Um, so I'm a mom of two and uh, I have a teen. And I was wanting to know, uh, Renee, about if you know any ways that I can, I'm really worried about, uh, their safety and they're, you know, using social media and we, we often have a fight about like what's appropriate, but what can I do to help protect my, my child from, you know, uh, like, you know, password protection and, you know, online, like, you know, predators and things like that. What are, what are safety things that I should know about? Um, and I'm a Mac user. Great question. Renee, take it away. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. When they're young kids, it's easier because you can just restrict their access to technology and you can make sure that tech, like, you just don't give them phones or you don't give them unrestricted access to mobile devices or you make sure the computer is in the living room and they're not using it when it's not supervised. You want to think of it almost like a power saw. You would never just let them run off into their room with a power saw. So you don't want to let them run off into their room with an internet-connected device either because it's just it's equally dangerous in the wrong periods. But when they get to the teenage years, that's when it's really hard. Like, it's it, it's Maybe it's hard, you know, do they have access to a car? Uh, you know, are they out and who are they with? In, in, a, couple, a decade ago, it was like drinking or doing, you know, silly things at high school that you worried about. But now all that stuff is on YouTube and there's messages and people, there's bullying and there's all sorts of things. So I think you're, 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 you, can fairly, you can fairly well control them when they're really small and hopefully they can control themselves when they start going into their senior years in high school and going into um, college and university. But I, I don't have any good answers for when they're in their teenage years because that is going to be a fight almost all the time because some of their friends will have unrestricted access because their parents just don't care and that's kind of sad. And some of them will have absolutely no access because maybe their parents are hypervigilant. Maybe that's just as sad. Uh, but I think the thing is that it's, it's going to be a reflection of your actual relationship with your kids. And again, technology is a, is a force multiplier. And if you've, if you've got a great relationship with them and you have open lines of discussion and you try to teach them to make good and smart choices, then that'll be reflected in how they use technology. At least that's my hope. Now, when, when, I, when I put my own passwords on my devices, what is a good password? Because I always hear about how <laughs> I'm using bad passwords, and unfortunately, I use the same password. I shouldn't say this, but for everything, and how, how can I have like safety and I'm not going to forget them because that's my problem is then I'll forget the password and I'll be locked out. So, I mean, this is a perennial problem because uh, security and convenience are at perpetual war. So the more convenient something is, the less secure it is. You, it's easy to type in like 111 as your password or password as your password. You know? You'll yeah. never forget it. So <laughs> you want to make, you want to, the, the short answer is if you are using 1Password, you want to make that password as complicated as you can remember. Uh, so 1Password, so is it easy to use? Well, so I mean, sorry. If you're if you're if you're using the same password for everything, which you should never do, but if you are, you still want to make it as long as you can possibly remember and as complicated as you can possibly remember. For most people, I recommend like a password manager, and you can get LastPass or One Password, and then you remember the password to that. And again, you make that password as complicated and as as you can possibly remember, and then that stores all your other passwords, and it can randomly generate those. So you don't even have to remember them; it'll just randomly make you know fourteen, twenty-five, thirty characters of gobbledygook and then fill those in for you uh, when you go around. Your device is different. If you have an iPhone or an Android phone, uh, you're going to need to remember your pattern or your passcode. Uh, but that, that's mostly just to keep you know, some, some random person on, on the street from picking it up. That's not meant to stop like the NSA from breaking into it. That's called LastPass? LastPass and 1Password are two really good cross-platform apps that let you do password management. Okay. Uh, and they'll, they'll remember all your other passwords. They're called OnePass or LastPass because it means you only have to remember one thing from then on as soon as you start using them. And there's all sorts of tutorials available on how to get started with them. Amazing. Okay, great. Uh, can I ask one more question? Sure. Um, I was wanting to know, Sandra, about, we were, you know, you talk about, like, like technology and, and children. Um, my husband and I have a fight with our, um, he lets our five-year-old use the iPad during the daytime um, and just kind of lets them use it. What would you consider like appropriate amount of time with children and technology, or should they not be using it? Or, you know, I, I, we, we have this fight all the time, and I'm not really sure what's the right answer. 
Well, I'm not sure I can give you an exact time, but what I definitely would say to you is that there is lots of research on the fact that technology does change the way children think and feel in large amounts, not in a good way. So I run an anxiety clinic. Unfortunately, lots of time on technology is highly correlated with anxiety. Brain goes very quickly. Brain seeks novelty, as we talked about before. And then when the technology stops, um, child doesn't know how to imagine things or go do things on their own. So what I would suggest is limited amounts. And also, if your kids could earn the privilege for technology. So they do their homework, they get some time on technology, not too much. And I think Renee said, but not too much deprivation either when everyone else is doing it. Because I think it's, I caught that when he said that um, over hypervigilant parents also create anxiety. So you have to find that balance, but definitely keeping up with the Joneses in terms of technology is a recipe for a disaster, in my view. Okay. Is that helpful, Kathy? Yes, thank you so very much. Great questions. Great to speak to you. Thanks. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, Renee, we're going to have to take a short break. We'll be right back with Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Change your life forever with the latest cutting-edge products for home study treatment for anxiety, featuring the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression and host of Straight Talk, Sandra Reich. Sandra is joined by top therapist Georgia Dow in this revolutionary anxiety videos therapy series. Thousands of people have benefited from this scientifically proven treatment approach. Isn't it time you chose yourself? Visit anxiety-videos.com right now. That's anxiety-videos.com and change your life forever. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. Time's flying by with the fascinating Renee Ritchie. Uh, we were talking on the break about Kathy's question, which is a great segue. So thank you, Kathy, for that call into the discussion about children. And, you know, the, the parents ask that question all the time. And it's a very difficult question of how much time is the right time. So we were chit-chatting about that, Renee, and you were bringing up a really good point about, and I think it's really what I do with my kids. And I think it's important for people to consider that if your kids are doing lots of other activities, there's only so many hours in the day. Do you want to say a few words on that? Sure, yeah, and, and I'm just going to go back to that thing about the computing technology being a tool. So if they're using it to do their homework, it's different than them playing video games. If they're using it to do to, to learn about the universe, it's different than them sitting there and you know watching YouTube videos. So uh, I don't want to categorically say like there there should be you know screen time and non screen time, but I think if kids are leading a balanced life, if they're outside playing, if they're you know building with Lego, if they're doing imaginative play with with dolls or with figures and things like that, then by just by virtue of them doing a lot of different things, if they're helping you cook, if they're doing their chores, their, their screen time will be limited because they'll be so busy doing other things they can't sort of overexpose themselves to the technology. And I personally can't 
emphasize how important what you're saying is enough because as I've said on many a show before, I opened an anxiety clinic here in Montreal for adults and I'm now at 49% children. I'm like, what is going on? It's, and so you, we were discussing also the age of the child is relevant. We didn't get to discuss with Kathy, um, the age of her children. So if she's listening, Age is relevant. You know, a four-year-old's not, you were saying it, and I agree with you, a four-year-old, you're not going to allow a four-year-old to go on technology the same amount as a 10-year-old. Now, there is this problem, which I'm guilty of and every parent is guilty of, which is that moment where you bring your child somewhere and someone's talking to you and they grab your phone and or they're going to have a fit. Yeah. Um, I think I think – like I like to look at it, and I'm curious what you think of, is I don't mind if once in a while that happens, as long as that's not the norm. Uh, the research is very disturbing. Even the point you brought up, the children can look up things on the internet, brilliant, but the research also shows that they don't remember it as well as when we looked it up in encyclopedias, for example. They don't, the memory doesn't keep it as strong. So I, I think it's important to consider age and time. Would you agree? Oh, totally. And also, I mean, there, there's the positive and the negative. And one is the, like the amount of screen time they have, but also what that screen time is costing them. And if it's being used as a babysitter, for example, I totally understand why that's, a, that's an incredibly convenient thing, but it's coming at the cost of them doing something that's positive and beneficial for them during that time. So it's not just the presence of the technology, it's the absence of the parenting behind it. Yeah. And, you know, what I find odd in my office is that when I talk with parents and their very young kids have iPads, I, I find this very interesting personally. And um, I, you know, we talk about consequences and they can't, uh, they don't know what they'd say to their children to take the iPad away. Like, it's almost like it's their child's right to have an iPad. That I find odd. I think I was raised like you. Like even my television, I mean, my parents might have been a bit too strict. I don't know about yours, but I do think it was not like my rights. It was a privilege. Oh, totally. I mean, and that's the thing like with, with anything, anything that's not, and again, I'm not a parent and I feel really awkward sort of telling people how to be parents because I'm not one, but having been raised, I was always taught that almost anything other than doing chores and contributing towards the well-being of the family was a privilege uh, and it had to be earned. And, and my mom was great because she was an art teacher. So we always were doing like a, a wide variety of different things. And my grandmother was a baker. So we did all sorts of, you know, that kind of stuff too. But you, you absolutely, it's a privilege and has to be treated that way. If it's taken for granted, then again, it's, it's not that they're spending time with technology. It's that they're not learning um, motor skills and they're not learning yeah. to be outdoors and they're not building up you know, their, their physical fitness and all these different things that are just so important because people do have different, different learning modalities and different uh, skills that need to be acquired. And just sitting in front of a screen all day will make you super good at just fun, sitting in front of a screen all day, but that doesn't lead to a happy, well-rounded life. But, you know, I think it's fair for you to speak on that because you're t- talking about the way you were raised, first of all. And second of all, I guess you're saying if you did have children that, that you would not encourage even Mr. Technology here, Renee Ritchie, you would not be encouraging your kids to spend all their time or a, the majority of the time in front of a screen, even if it was convenient for you. Totally. No, Absolutely. I think it's important. You know, I promise people we're going to talk about these things. And I think it's important people hear that from you because if they hear from me, they go, well, you know, of course she's going to say that she's in the field of psychology. But here's a guy who, you know, loves technology. You openly talk about loving it. You make your living at it. And you're still saying that, it, you know, for a child's mind, it can be there can be too much, too much, too much and too much and affect the child in a very negative way. Yeah. And lack of other stuff in its place. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about 
uh, what's coming up in the future in technology. I am curious about that. I remember a few years ago hearing about, and this may sound silly again, this is where I'm uncomfortable, uh, that there's going to be facial recognition and people are going to be able to look, put something in my face on the street and they're going to know where I live. And that scared me a bit. It's like, what's coming up? Is that coming up? I think that stuff is already here. Like, I mean, like, I mean, there's a huge debate going on in America now about where civil liberties and the right to privacy and all that, you know, um, where do we draw the line on that? And, and in the UK, they've already passed laws that I think many of us thought would be reserved for science fiction. I mean, people used to write about V for Vendetta uh, and, and the different sorts of surveillance states. And that, that's unfortunately become a reality. And some people think it's a good idea. Other people think that it's, you know, a complete violation of 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 the essential nature of humanity, and I, you know, obviously tell by my language what side I fall on that. Yeah. Uh, but I think you know that stuff's only going to get more prevalent. But it'll be a battle. Like you know, companies like Google and Apple and other companies are working on privacy and security all the time. Uh, Apple because they've decided that it's something unique that they can bring to the market, and Google because if everyone has access to the data, then it's less valuable to them. And anytime a company thinks it's in their best interest to do that stuff, it's good for us. Where the technology is headed, though, is more of this. I don't want to say artificial intelligence because people think about the Matrix or Terminator, but sort of uh, <laughs> devices are becoming intelligent. Like we used to have uh, a little button on our phone that would unlock it, and now that button can read our fingerprints. And we used to have um, a microphone in our phone that we would talk into, and now thanks to Siri and Google Now and Cortana, that can interact with us. It can understand and parse what we're saying. We used to have just lenses, and now those lenses can do facial recognition or things like Microsoft Connect can actually understand what we're doing and play dancing games with with us. So they're getting uh, smart, but not in a sort of evil, you know, uh, destroy humanity, take over the world, just uh, contextually aware uh, manner. And now we're moving into virtual reality, which uh, is very crude right now. Like you basically put a box on your head and it shows different images to both your eyes, but that could be our car window. So we're stuck in traffic and we're like, oh, the highway is boring. Show me Jurassic Park. And suddenly your driverless car is or your automatic car is taking you down the highway and you're looking at dinosaurs all around you. And um, then we're just <laughs> is that too much? <laughs> no, it's it's amazing. It's just fascinating to even imagine that. Uh, it, it is like there's that famous line uh you know from Jurassic Park where it said that we can do we've stopped thinking about what we what we should do and just worry about what we can do and we stand on the shoulders of giants and don't respect what's come before us and that's totally true like nanotechnology and, and uh, antimatter and all these things uh, are we responsible enough as a people to actually be exploring them I don't know but I don't think we can stop it so all we can try to do is uh, use our best judgment and everybody has to be involved and my greatest fear is that as a society because we have so much in, uh, instant gratification and we have we take so many things for granted that we're not being as vigilant and we're not taking the personal responsibility that we need to to help govern each and every one of us govern these new advances like I look at some of and I, I don't want to really go there but I look at some of the politics that's going on especially south of the border and it just it just scares <laughs> me because these, these are people who you know uh, it, it just it's beyond scary to me that these things can happen in our day and age uh, and it's because I think largely we've checked out and we, it's almost like gladiatorial time. You, know, you go, you watch the fights and you don't care about, you know, Rome burning, but I think there yeah. is that danger. It's our complacency is the biggest danger we face. You know, I, I have to say you are a bit of a psychologist. You've brought up some really interesting psychology points. I, first of all, I couldn't agree more. Complacency, 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 I can't speak, is such a problem. It's uh, People being passive has led to horrible atrocities in the world many times, more so than even the perpetrators. It's the fact that people didn't do things. I think you bring up personal responsibility, and I come back again to the children. Uh, what are we going to say to our children and our teenagers when they say, but my, my friend's parents let me do this? 
this. Mm-hmm. They, they have that new gadget. Why can't I? What are we to do with this? And how are we going to globally get that responsibility out to, you know, I mean, you're on the front lines, Renee. You're on the front lines. Yeah, and it's a total, like there was recently this whole debate in the U.S. about the FBI trying to compel Apple to make software that would allow them to more easily crack uh, into people's iPhones and get data off of it. And they played the terrorism card. And at the same time, you're like, well, how dare Apple stop them from getting information about terrorism? But the flip side of that is if they give the U.S. government that tool, they can't say no when China asks for it. They can't say no when a country that's at war with their own citizens asks for it and then uses the information to kill a bunch of people or do ethnic cleansing or something. And we don't always look at... we. We get riled up and we make very quick emotional responses and we don't always look at things in the full context of history. But what scares me the most is that we now have the equivalent of General Electric having to fight for desegregation because the government has abdicated their responsibility. If you imagine General Electric sending workers in to try to, set, to try to integrate schools and the government being against it, that's sort of what we have now when it comes to privacy. We have companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft and Facebook fighting to keep data secure and the government saying, no, no, crack it all open. And I, I don't know as a person how to deal with that. So you definitely strongly don't agree with that. No, I mean it's it, it's categorically the wrong thing. It's it's you. Uh, there's there are incredible dangers out there in technology, and like people have said before, our phones are are different than any other object we've ever had because they know our location, often the location of our kids. It has our financial information, our health information on it, and that that sort of thing needs to be protected because what happens next we'll we'll eventually get to the point where we have you know thought control or, or we, we have the ability to journal straight from our mind and what's to stop them from subpoenaing that information our That's thoughts have always been sacrosanct but once those are externalized what's to stop that being i mean like we at some point you have to take a stand or, or you lose you lose sort of any right to privacy you've had okay so privacy is important personal responsibility is important choice is a factor parents need to educate themselves on how much you know, it's hard to say one hour, two hours, or to set a time. But I, I also have to say that you also have to watch your child. You see, yes. and I think maybe um, yourself too. So uh, there's so much to talk about. I probably will have to have you come back if that's okay with you, Renee. Time. Um, but you know, what what about like I'm going to come back to Dr. Sue Johnson's talk about porno. Even you know the desensitization of people that if they're just going to be like they don't need people if they're just going to be going on the internet and watching tons of porno. Do you think that that, you know, for a large part of the population is going to really impact relationships and marriages as it keeps, because the images get more and more graphic. They have to, because our brain seeks novelty. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, like I, I went through the Netflix listings the other day, and I saw horror movies that I even the idea of like in the short description of what I saw traumatized me, and I could <laughs> never unknow that, and and that really bothered me. And I hate to be one of those persons that shouldn't exist because I don't believe like that I should have the right to dictate everyone's choices. But it, it bothered me to the level that I, I wished I had never ever heard of that. Um, and I can only imagine that that scales across all sorts of human vices, and it's so accessible now, and it's so uh, like, there's this old rule on the internet that you know internet plus internet brings out the worst in humanity. But in, in some ways it's true because you lose, you, you lose any fear of being discovered or judged or, 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 yeah. or of being part of a community. You really are isolated by yourself and that, that sort of removes a lot of boundaries from you. And I don't know if we really appreciate how damaging that can be. And it, 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 can, it can be porn, it can be social networking where it, those relationships are so much easier than your real life ones. They're not nagging you about the garbage or where are you. And, th- and then you, just, you find those more comfortable and then yeah. you start to prefer those over your real relationships. 
Yeah, and there's a desensitization that goes on. And it, I, I think it's like a drug. You need more and more because once you talked about those horror movies, I mean, I noticed that there's a correlation. My own little study, I have no, no backing or no evidence really except for my practice that anxiety people who are not good at feeling things love horror movies. It's the oddest thing because they don't feel their emotions that strongly. So they like to feel, to really feel. And so, and then the brain needs even more stimulation to feel. Yeah. No, so, totally. People like roller coasters. I mean, sometimes people just want to feel, and uh, you, you, there's adrenaline junkies, and there's always been you know, some form of adrenaline junkie, whether it's climbing a mountain or hang gliding or yeah. something. And it, it, I think it becomes like a hit. Like you know the psychology, I don't, but it feels like like you, you're always chasing that hit, almost like it is a narcotic. Yeah. Well, I hope you'll write about some of this stuff soon because I think that you really, you're a voice that people listen to. And like you said, you know, you do, you actually, I, or like I said, you have a very psychological way of looking at this. And I think that people really need to be more educated on how to use technology in a good way and how to be careful of the dangerous ways. So I, you know, I know you said you might write on something on that. I certainly would look forward to you writing on that. I'm curious on behalf of everyone who's listening to you, where do people find you how do they follow you what do they do so uh, you can find what I write. It's, um, almost all of it is on imore.com, I-M-O-R-E.com. It's about everything Apple. And you can find me on Twitter, I guess, is the easiest place. And that's just, or Instagram, and that's at Renee Ritchie, just R-E-N-E-R-I-T-C-H-I-E. And what are your shows weekly so people can watch you? I mean, you're, you're quite interesting to listen to, let's be honest. I do the iMore show. I record that almost every Friday, um, and that's available uh, you know, from iTunes or any place that you get podcasts. I do Debug, which is a developer show, uh, every two weeks. I do Iterate, which is for designers, um, and uh, MacBreak Weekly, which is on the Twit Network, which is just you know, sort of old-school, fun Apple stuff, too. Great, and I heard you have a pretty special person on iMore with you. Oh, We're yeah, Georgia Down, big, mutual friend. Big, big fan of hers. Renee, it's been a delight. I want to thank you so much, and I, I definitely think that people are going to have a lot of questions, so we'll have you come back. And thanks for making time out of your very, very busy schedule. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you next week with Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Keep your eyes on the stars, and not too much technology, but just enough. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reish. We hope you've enjoyed today's show and we'll tune in again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, go live your best life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.